Welcome to the Miller Oddcast, a brand new podcast from the Missouri Review. For over 40 years now, TMR has been discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Our quarterly magazine appears in print, digital, and audio formats. Learn more at MissouriReview.com. Hello and welcome to Miller Oddcast, the Missouri Review podcast where we listen to and discuss the finalists for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize. I'm Mark McKee, TMR's Managing Editor. Thank you for being here, wherever that may be, for episode 57, Stories for the Ineffable, from Maya Shanbag Lang. Maya Shanbag Lang is the author of What We Carry, named a New York Times Editor's Choice and Amazon Best Memoir of 2020, and featured on several international best-of lists. Her prose entry for the Miller Audio Contest, Stories for the Ineffable, was based on What We Carry. She is also the author of The 16th of June, named a must-read novel by CBS and In Style, and long-listed for the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize. The daughter of South Asian immigrants, Lung holds a PhD in comparative literature and lives in New York with her daughter. Stay tuned after listening for my brief comment on that piece. And now, Stories for the Ineffable, from Maya Shanbag Long. When I brought my mother home to live with me, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd blurted out the offer to care for her during what was supposed to be a routine checkup. Her doctor had said she needed to be hospitalized, a thought I couldn't bear. My mother was good at masking her symptoms. As a geriatric psychiatrist, she was an expert at making exactly these determinations, who needed help and who didn't. She knew how to deflect and conceal when it came to her own dementia, until she couldn't. There are no scripts for how to care for a parent, how to mother one's mother, She once ran clinical trials for Aricept, the leading Alzheimer's medication. Every morning, as I place the white pill on her brown palm, I want to ask if she remembers that she had a hand in developing the medication she now takes. I want to know if she's still there, here, with me. One morning, In the kitchen, after I give her her pill, my mother makes herself a cup of tea. I am ecstatic. After weeks of showing her how, weeks during which I'm not sure she retains a thing, weeks during which I wonder why I bother, watching her finally do it is as jubilant a moment as when my daughter took her first steps. The episode also drives home our reality. You made yourself tea, I crow. I did, she replies blankly. She doesn't remember making it, can't say how the still warm mug came to be in her hands. The accomplishment marks a ceiling in an ever-shrinking space. A woman who once saved lives as a physician can now do no more than make tea. It's bittersweet, like building sandcastles on the shore. All that work speaks to its own pending erasure. 
The episode with the tea helps me grasp my situation. I cannot fathom my mother's disease, can't wrap my mind around what it and our living arrangement mean. But a small anecdote involving tea is manageable. It gives me a story, a way to explain the ineffable. It gives me a few lines when the rest of the tale is out of reach. Alzheimer's is devastating because it annihilates one's story. It vacuums it up. Even the name feels greedy to me. What gets me is the apostrophe, that possessive little hook. It drags your loved one away from you. My mother no longer belongs to me. She belongs to her illness. My time with her, though, is a way of countering that apostrophe. The episode with the tea in giving me a story allows me to stake a claim on her. The magnitude of the ocean is overwhelming, but a sandcastle, however fleetingly, defies that power. Its beauty is only more poignant for its brevity. I cannot comprehend what is coming for my mother, the tidal wave of loss, but in the meantime, we have this, tea together in the kitchen. And even if she doesn't remember it, I will. It is enough to get me through the next day and the next. I had always loved the fact that my mother was a psychiatrist. I prized it about her. It allowed me to turn up the volume on her empathy. Picturing her at her work, listening to her patients, I could transfer the qualities to myself a vicarious empathy. She had always told me that she chose psychiatry as a profession because out of all the medical fields, it was the most family friendly. I loved hearing this as a girl, thinking that she had planned for me all along. During our time together, the stories she'd always told me start to fall away. As she and I drop our pretenses, I find that I can ask her anything. If your plan all along was to go back to India, why did you tell me you'd come to the States to give your kids opportunities? I ask. I did not want to tell you it was an accident, she replies bashfully. I voice all the nagging questions I had as a child, and one day, it occurs to me to ask the biggest question of all. Mom, I say slowly, how did you know you wanted to be a psychiatrist? Oh, I didn't, she answers right away. I wanted to be an OBGYN. She explains that she suffered from postural hypotension, meaning she couldn't stand for long periods of time or perform C-sections. With her dream job ruled out, she settled for psychiatry. That way I could sit in a chair, she says. For the next several days, I am in a state of shock. A neighbor could confess to committing murder, and all I would think about was my mother's desire to be an obstetrician. Psychiatry did not appeal to me at all, she admits. So many problems. Listening to people, it gets very boring, you know. It is the last straw, the final puzzle piece that makes me realize how much I deluded myself where she was concerned. The crux of her whole identity was an accident. 
she became a psychiatrist out of a desire to be seated. She hadn't planned for me all along, and her trajectory in life wasn't a straight line. I wonder sometimes why I did not go back to India, she remarks one morning over tea. Staying in this country, you know, it just happened. What a surprise this would have been to hear as a girl, to know that my mother was someone to whom things happened, that this was permissible. She wanted to give me the illusion that she had known what she was doing. I let her. But this is not to say that her illusions were meaningless. Her old stories may have been riddled with untruths, plagued by a suspicious lack of detail, but they defined her. They weren't necessarily true to events, but they were true to her. As a writer, I should have understood this. I, of all people, should have known that a story needn't be accurate in order to be true. Now that our illusions have been stripped away, I miss my mythic mother. I suspect she misses her too. I've been taking care of her, but who has she become under my care? She has lost her former stature. She's physically stronger, able to take the stairs without help, able to go on longer walks, but she lacks her old haughtiness. Maybe it doesn't matter whether our stories are true or false. What matters is that they are ours. Hi there, Internet. Is that a new shirt? You've just listened to Stories for the Ineffable from Maya Shanbag Long. I just want to offer a brief comment to the effect that in many ways, this is a good way to bring this oddcast experiment to a close for now. On the page or out loud, language is an attempt to communicate. On a basic level, we need to exchange information with each other. Art in the form of stories or poems or jokes, or the many other forms documenting experience and existence, is an act of valor in naming what Lang calls here the ineffable. In articulating her particular experience, caring for a mother suffering the tragic subtraction of Alzheimer's, Lang manages an elegant search for truth and the discovery that truth does not necessarily have to do with factual accuracy. In this discovery, in committing this discovery to beautiful prose, recording the sound of this discovery, we are each offered a gift. We can make sandcastles. Despite their brevity and finitude, sandcastles mean. We can all make our own stories. And hearing others' stories and poems and jokes and interviews and every other made thing, we are helped to find ourselves and to give ourselves without losing ourselves in the process. A heartfelt thanks for this piece and for every other one that does it for the 2021 Miller Oddcasts. Be well, be brave, and be heard. Thank you. Thanks for being here with us for Miller Oddcast 57 featuring Maya Shanbad Lang's Stories for the Ineffable. And that wraps it up for the 2021 finalists for the Miller Audio Prize. Thanks most of all to all who entered. 
and stay tuned for an announcement to come revealing the winners. Thanks also to all for their patience as we tried this new experiment. Thanks as always to the outgoing Missouri Review contest editor, Bailey Boyd, and to Patricia Miller for her generous support for the Miller Audio Prize. Entries are open for the next 24 hours or so for the second annual Perkoff Prize, the new opportunity from the Missouri Review which awards $3,000 in publication to the poet, fiction writer, and essayist with the best work engaging the fields of health and medicine in evocative ways. Learn more on our website or subscribe to our newsletter for weekly updates on all of our contests and all the other things that TMR has got going on. As ever, we're open for submissions year-round, and TMR remains dedicated to discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Be heard. Give us the opportunity to discover you. Submit your work today. Visit our website for tons of marvelous, free creative content to read, listen to, and even watch. Learn more at MissouriReview.com.